0: And welcome to the coach's spot. I'm flying solo today. I don't have any guests because it is Thanksgiving week. So I'm going to just do a solo cast today. And what did I want to talk about with all the stuff going on, the NFL games getting canceled? Nope, not going to talk about any of that. What we're going to talk about today, I want to talk about overachieving. And having athletes and being a coach who thinks you can look at an athlete and decide if they're going to be good or not, which is ridiculous. You can see how good they are at that time, but are you going to see how good they are over time? So I wanted to come up with some examples, right? People that people didn't think were going to achieve. Who are we going to start with? There's so many. I've had so many myself. I've had so many kids that got... I went, got turned down by other big-time programs and came to my program and were successful and beat those big-time programs. But you don't know who those people are, right? Uh, no, how, no matter how much inspiring that story is, what's it matter if you don't know who they are? So I'm going to bring up some just regular Joes that did it. Let's start with Billy Wagner. Billy Wagner, his when he was in high school, was 5'3", 135 pounds he went to a division 3 program and later had 400 saves in the major leagues right he had 400 saves in the major leagues out of a d3 school if you were going to look at something that wasn't going to make it the 5335 pounder is definitely one of them right but there's a plethora how about Jorge Mascobal in the ufc An average fighter. An average fighter until he decided, I'm not going to be average anymore. And now he's one of the baddest men on the planet. Yeah, he just lost the title fight. But he lost the decision to a dude who was knocking fools out. And now he's one of the baddest dudes, most respected dudes in the UFC. My favorite is probably Billy Misk. Billy Misk. I believe it was the St. Paul. Was it the St. Paul Thunderbolt? Was his nickname. Fought Jack Dempsey. Fought a bunch of dudes that were spectacular boxers. Ends up getting Bright's disease or diagnosed with Bright's disease, which is kidney disease that was going to kill him in less than five years. But he had three kids and he had to fight. So he took a fight against Billy Brennan. And guess what? Knocked the dude out because he wanted his kids to have a good Christmas and he couldn't train for the fight. He couldn't train for the fight and he knocked the dude out in the fourth round and his kids had a great Christmas. Unfortunately, he passed away two months later from kidney failure. Oh my Lord. Really? And people, (laughs) dude, look in the mirror and look at what you complain about (laughs) in your life. And this dude's fighting in a ring with Bright's disease. Okay, James Braddock, another great one. So he had to stop his boxing career so he could work on the docks during the during the Depression, and then had an average average boxing career up to that point. Then starts fighting again, and has three upsets in a row, and ends up fighting Max Baer. Who, by the way, when he fought Max Bear with his average record and he was an undersized heavyweight, Max Bear was killing people in the ring. And I'm not saying he was knocking dudes out. People were dying from his right hand. Dying. And guess what? James Braddock goes in heavyweight champion of the world. And he was undersized and he was working as a longshoreman on the docks. Here's another one. Hopefully you guys heard of him. Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner actually uh, hurts my heart to tell you this. Kurt Warner had a tryout with the Chicago Bears because they were having quarterback trouble like they're always having quarterback trouble. Had a tryout with the Chicago Bears. He's on his, I believe it was his honeymoon, gets bitten on the elbow by a spider. Can't go to the tryout because his elbow is so swollen. Can't bend his arm. Can't go to the tryout. Ends up, they, the Rams sign him, and they end up cutting the four, three quarterbacks. They cut two of them, and then the other quarterback tore his ACL at the beginning of the season. So they put in this journeyman quarterback that nobody even knows about, Kurt Warner, and he runs maybe one of the prolific air attack offenses of all time and becomes a stable in the NFL at the Rams and then the Cardinals I believe. But guys, I I have so many so many examples of this. So what's my point? First off, my point is stop listening. Not to me, stop listening to everybody else that tells you you can't do it as a coach or as an athlete, either one, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And if people are telling you you're in the wrong program or you can't coach these kids to a certain spot or you can't do this or you can't do that, as long as you keep getting after it, you can do it. But you, gotta, you also have to adjust and change and try to get better as a coach, right? But also as an athlete. But never, ever be one of those coaches. You know, I coach a girl or I coached a girl, an athlete. That was spectacular athlete. At, but her coach before me told her her hands were too small to ever do bars. Don't do that as a coach. Don't ever be that coach. You can't do that. You can't do that to athletes. If you have an idea of how someone's gonna perform or, or what their limits are or anything like that, keep it to yourself. That's not your job as a coach. Your job isn't to tell them what they can't do. Your job is to tell them what they can do and how to get through the process to do what they want to do. So don't be that coach, right? We can't be that coach. Put those systems together and have belief in every kid. I, I talked to two of my athletes today since it, was, since it was Thanksgiving and they were together, which is in itself awesome because they competed 20 years ago, and now they're still really good friends, and they're spending the holidays together, which is phenomenal, which is so cool. What's even cooler is they FaceTimed me, and they told me um, a bunch of stuff. I mean, we had a good time talking, but they told me that one of the reasons that I was a good coach is because they always trusted me, because I always seemed like I cared. And that's the bottom line is at the end of the day, especially when you're coaching kids, but guys – even if you're running a business, if you're a manager, if you're a CEO, <laughs> I love that, that I think that any CEO is listening to my show. But if they want to get better, they are. Because if you can let your athletes know that you believe in them and you build that trust, they believe in all of the rest, your coaching system, your conditioning, your... they. Do everything you ask. They do it with a smile on their face. And they're happy about it. They were talking about one time me walking in the gym and I was singing I Will Survive by, uh, what is it, Gloria Gaynor? Well, I think was the first person to sing it. A bunch of people have sung it. But I came into the gym singing that song, dancing around. I think I sang the whole song. And... But it set the tone, right? It set the tone for the rest of the day. They knew that that even though we were going to work hard, it was still going to be a fun day. And I did that a lot. They tell me all the time that when they hear Jesse's Girls or I Wear My Sunglasses at night or I Will Survive or all these songs I used to play in the gym and I would sing constantly. And I'm a terrible singer, by the way. The fact that I put them through that is terrible. But at the same time, they appreciated that. I'm not saying all coaches are goofy because I am definitely a goofy coach, right? I'm a crazy coach. Not all coaches have to be that way. There's plenty of coaches out there that are good at what they do, and they're not goofy, but they still let their kids know that they care, right? You got to let them know that you care. And that's at the end of the day. That's all that matters. A lot of us are great coaches, and along with that comes a lot of hours. Especially if you're coaching individual sports. Golf, skating, tennis, you're coaching these sports where it's just you one-on-one a lot of times. Or even even high-level football. If you're if you're playing Ohio or colony or I don't even know if the colony is any good. If you're <laughs> any of these, you know, big level Texas programs and you're doing two a days and you're with these kids all the time. You got to keep paying attention to that, too. And you got to be really careful about what you do and say. Don't put your doubts into your athletes. Don't let that happen. If you have a doubt about an athlete, work on it. Make it better. Right? That's what we're all here for. We're here to make it better. So we got to keep doing that and keep working towards that in the best ways possible. And get Man, have fun. We're so lucky at the job that we do, that we get to train. We get to train athletes. If you're a manager or you you get to work with people and you get to make them better or help them reach. the. Let me put it that way. You get to help people reach their full potential because at the end of the day, it's really them. You're just lighting the path. You're just lighting the path. They have to walk down it. They have to get to the destination. But at least you get to help And look at it that way. Don't look at it as I'm disciplining people or I'm keeping track of people. I'm making sure they stay on track or any of those things. Don't do that. Don't do that. Do the opposite. Build, build, build. That's what you're there to do. You know, it's funny. The reason I do this podcast and the reason I coach the way I coach is because I had really bad coaching growing up. And when I say really bad, don't get me wrong, they weren't abusive in any way. They weren't they weren't over the top with anything. They were I'm sure they're nice people, but I was good enough to be on the team and bad enough at the sport to be ignored. And I played lots of sports and it was the same thing in every sport. The funny thing is, I got better as I went on and I got a little bit more attention, but then by the time I got the attention I probably needed, I was done with sports, right? Um, And then I went on to golf, and I had a really good coach in golf, really probably the first time I ever got coached well. But here I am as an adult getting good coaching finally, and that's probably because I'm paying for it, right? (laughs) They want to – these kids aren't paying for it. Their parents are paying for it. So they have no – they don't understand the value. So – but I find when I finally got good coaching, I was already – at the end of my career or whatever, but I became a pretty darn good golfer because of it. I won my first golfing event, a stroke play, a stroke play event when I was 35 years old. That was the first time I ever won anything big. That was a big deal. So I guess what I'm trying to say is don't be that coach. If you've ever had bad coaching, strive to not be that coach. If you had great coaching, learn from it and mirror it. Even though you can have your own style and your own systems and everything else. And you're like, maybe I could do it even better. But still mirror that. Mirror what the great coaching was. So, you know, I'm not trying to get on my soapbox or anything. I'm, I'm just trying to give you little tidbits. And the point of me going through those athletes at the beginning that probably shouldn't amounted to anything. And they did. And they became great athletes. I would dare say there were some Hall of Famers in there that I just said. So... Yeah, Kurt Warner's in the Hall of Fame for sure. It, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say we don't know everything. And when you realize you don't know everything, you become a much, much, much better coach. Because you realize you don't know everything. You know, some of those kids that you think might not amount to anything just might be late bloomers. Just like some of your early bloomers plateau and those late bloomers pass them. I've had that happen a bunch of times in my career. A bunch. So, I had one girl that didn't even start gymnastics until she was 11 years old. That's an old lady in gymnastics for you to start at that age. And she became one of the best athletes I've ever coached. So, don't... I guess what I'm trying to say is don't think that you know it all. I understand you've seen a bunch of talent. I understand that. And... and You can look and you can say, oh, yep, I know that, that, mm mm-hmm. But how many times have you been surprised by somebody? How many times have you gone into an off-season and you're like, yeah, that kid, they're not gonna be any good. And then they come back after the off-season and they busted their butt and they come back and they're awesome. I don't have an off-season in gymnastics, but I've seen it happen in other sports. Heck, I've seen it happen in boxing where they lead, they get a fight, we were on a six-week training, and they get it on. A, they get a fight, and they come in to work really, really hard. And they come in, and they're just a different kid. They're a different athlete. They're a different fighter. And who knows what happens? Is it maturity? Probably a little bit. Is it just work ethic? Probably. You know, I think it all comes together. It's all the full package. You have a kid leave for a little bit, and they come back, and all of a sudden they're the full package. Happens all the time because attitude and effort aren't enough if you don't have the full package attitude and effort you can and you got to work the right way right you can't just give effort if you run all day not going to make you a better gymnast if you run all day it doesn't make you a better fighter well it does a little bit because you got cardio but it doesn't make you better at the fighting part of it it just means you don't get tired So you got to focus that attitude and effort and what happens. That's where we come in. That's where we come in as coaches, right? That's where, that's where, that's where the magic happens. That's where you can take the credit, take the credit for it. Just like you have to take the credit when they do poorly. You gave them the direction they needed. you focused, focused that attitude and effort in specific ways. So. In closing, what I'd like to say is, don't judge, just coach. Don't judge, coach. You know what? And put kids in sometimes. Sometimes you'll get a gut feeling and you're like, oh, I can't put that kid in. He's not ready. But there's something gnawing at you to put that kid in. Put him in. Do it. Wins and losses isn't really the worst part of our sports. Wins and losses aren't the worst part. You know what the worst part of our sport is? Any sport? Unrealized potential. Potential that's left in the dugout or on the bench or in the gym. Unrealized potential. And that's our failure as a coach. So recognize it. Put them in. Give a kid a chance. All the greatest moments in sports are from People getting chances, and they put themselves in that boat. Kurt Warner put himself in that boat by not giving up on it. He was bagging groceries. James Braddock was a longshoreman. He was working on the docks. And what happened? He got a chance. He put the hard work together, and he kept working, and he had a good attitude, and boom, he got the chance. And that's where the really great stories come from. Jordan never got a chance what if he went home after they cut him from his uh, basketball team or didn't make it and he went home and he said you know basketball is probably just not for me oh man the early 90s would have been a lot different for me because some of my best moments were watching the Chicago Bulls that would have sucked right if we never got to see that what if Customato said you know what Mike Tyson's too much of a punk I'm not going to train him. You never would have seen those knockouts. You never would have seen that. Better yet, what, I mean, there's so many examples. Carrie Strug, when she hurt her ankle on her vault and Bella Crowley had to carry her off. There's so many. I, there's so many examples. I can't put them all together. That's what sports is about. And you, you as a coach, bring those dreams to life. Because you give them the shot and you give them a chance and you put them in a system and you make them better. And then they finally get that chance. You make them more mentally tough. That's my biggest challenge, right? Is making them mentally tough to rise to the occasion of that chance. And they take it. So you got to do that. You're the, you're the architect of that. And even though the kid gets the credit. The kid, that's what should happen. The athlete gets the credit because they're the ones daring to be there, right? But you get to be the architect. You built that building. You gave that foundation. You gave that foundation and you built that building upon a sturdy foundation that made them, helped them become that athlete. And then you get to see it happen. It's such a, it's unbelievable. It's an unbelievable feeling as a coach. It's just, oh, It's the best feeling there is. Wins and losses don't matter at all. Wins and losses at the end of the day don't matter. And that's why participation medals are dumb. Because really, when you look at it, here I go, boom. Oh, you hear that dragging across the floor? That's me grabbing the soapbox. But here's the problem with participation medals, okay? And most coaches, I think, will agree with me. But here's an angle you didn't look at. And I think I came through this angle from believing in extreme ownership that you own everything that happens. So that's how I came to this participation medal thing. I think participation medals put more pressure later on for the winning. I think it makes them more aware of who wins and who loses. I do. I think I think. The participation medal, oh, look, I got a medal for doing nothing and all that. I really think it, it makes winning and losing later on a bigger deal. Do you see what I'm saying? I don't know. Maybe you don't agree. It's just a new theory. <laughs> and I might be wrong. But I think by saying, oh, nobody's a loser and all these things, doesn't that make losing harder later on? When, you, when it is wins and losses, and you're like, hey, wait, why don't I just get a medal anymore? And here's the problem. How many kids quit before it gets to wins and losses? So then they don't know how to win or lose because they begin participation medals. And they're like, well, wow, what's wrong? Where's my participation medal for life? Where'd it go? I don't understand. What's going on? Because they quit. They quit the sport besides the fact that it doesn't make it fun. Oh, well, we're just there for the for the integrity of the game and to have fun. Guess what, man? At the end of the day, winning's fun. Winning is awesome. I love to win. I don't care if my athletes win. But personally, for me, when I, play, I don't care if it's golf with my buddies. Heck, yesterday, uh, my co-host, Anthony, came over. He's a co-host on a bunch of my other podcasts. He came over, and he's on this podcast a lot. He's awesome. He's a really good guy. He's the, real, he's the one that has a very uh, fluffy coaching style. <laughs> he nurtures athletes. He's a great guy. He came over yesterday, played Madden. Dude, I won. whoop, whoop, and I... Made a difference for me. I wanted to win. It's that simple, man. I like to win. You know what I'm saying, man? Like, it's better than losing. But do I like to win more than I hate to lose? Probably not. And it's funny because my athletes would never know that. Like, a lot of people meet me or they see me coach and they're like, don't you care if they're going to win or lose? Absolutely. I care if they're going to win or lose. Cause I want them to feel, to feel the glory of winning and to feel what it's like to be a winner and then to know what they're working for. And I think that's why losing is so important. The worse the loss, the better the win, right? The worst you've lost in your life, I mean really lose. I'm talking, I lost by knockout when I was fighting, I got pinned when I wrestled, I got I when I was in football, I lost by Six touchdowns one game. Notice I say I lost by six touchdowns, even though it was the team that lost by six touchdowns. It hurt. It hurt so bad. But that's where the character comes in. Do you step up on Monday and work harder to make sure it never happens again? Or do you quit? I'm going to tell you right now, what participation medals do is make you quit. I've seen it happen. I've seen athletes that were nurtured along. I've seen it in fighting. I've seen it in wrestling. I've see, definitely seen it in boxing. And they nurture these athletes along and they give them easy wins, one after the other. And they put them in the ring with people they shouldn't be in the ring with because the people suck so bad. And they knock them out, knock them out, knock them out, knock them out. Well, guess what? Sooner or later, you, you're not fighting soup cans anymore. You're fighting real fighters. When you fight for a championship, you're fighting a real fighter, and then they lose. And then what happens? You never hear from that boxer again. That's why Jorge Masvidal is on that list, because he's had those kind of crushing losses. And you know what he did? He went back to the gym. In my, I believe he trains in Miami. He went back to the gym and kicked butt and worked harder, because he never wanted to feel that feeling again. And then he became a monster. He didn't do that without coaching. Someone that stood there and said, I believe in you, even though your record is mediocre. Even right now, his record's 36 and 14. He's having 50 fights. 50 fights. He's 36 and 14. By boxing numbers, he wouldn't even be able to get a fight anymore. In the UFC, he's one of the baddest men in the UFC. Why? Because he will fight anybody you put in front of him. Anybody, you put them in front of him, he will fight them, and he will fight them to the death. Not that that actually happens, but he would. I've heard the interviews. I've seen him. He would fight to the death if he had to. He's that kind of a fighter. 36 and 14 is not impressive. But 36 and 14, the way he fights and the way he knocks fools out is impressive. He is a bad man. He has the baddest MFR on the planet belt right now. <laughs> so that proves that he, kn- he knocked out one of the Diaz brothers for it. He didn't knock him out. He got stopped on uh, cop- cuts, I think. But he was smoking that fool. He's a prime example of that. They didn't bring him up. They didn't bring him up and give him easy fights his whole career. Every fight he was in was a fight. It was hard. They didn't bring him up and nurture him. and do other. They put him in there to learn to fight. And they put him in there against fighters. And you know what happened to him? He got better every time. Whether he won or lost or drew, he got better. And that's the point. They put him in the situations where he could get better, right? They put him there. No one got participation medals. By the way, here's a funny little thing. Roy Jones Jr. is fighting Mike Tyson this weekend. They're giving out participation medals to both of them. I'm not kidding. Both of them get a belt. I'm like, how is that possible? (laughs) What happens if Mike Tyson knocks out Roy Jones? They're not declaring a winner either. They had to do all this stupid stuff because they're fighting in California. So they had to do all this nurturing bullshit because I guess when you're young, you fight for participation medals. And when you're old, you fight for participation medals. They both get a belt. There's no judges. The judges... Uh, No judges So there'll be no decision So it's knockout Or not It's that simple Which is kind of disappointing But I think it's the only way They could get it sanctioned In California So they had to come out And they lowered it To two minute rounds They did all this stupid stuff But I think it was To get sanctioned Here's what I'm going to tell you though Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. Are two of the greatest boxers Who ever lived If you don't agree with that Don't agree with it I don't care But I hate to tell you, Mike Tyson could have taken Muhammad Ali. Because George Frazier, or George Frazier, Joe Frazier was just a replica or a lesser version of Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson's got better head movement. He's faster. Mike Tyson, in his prime, would have knocked out Muhammad Ali just like Joe Frazier knocked out Muhammad Ali. Did he knock him out? He knocked him out. I know he knocked him down. But... My point is, when two fighters, like Roy Jones Jr. is a monster, by the way. He is a stud. I don't care what you say. He's in the top 25 of boxers of all time. So is Mike Tyson. When you get two dudes like that in a ring, I don't care how long the rounds are. I don't care you're not declaring a winner. I don't care that they're both getting a belt. I don't care that the rest of the boxing card is total shite, by the way. I don't care. It's, it's a bunch of gimmicks and stuff like that. There's, the pre-fights suck. But Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr., when that bell goes ding, ding, they're going to forget their two-minute rounds. They're going to forget it's an exhibition. They're going to forget that they both get belts. They're going to forget. Trust me. As soon as the bell rings, it is going to be head movement and left hooks. Raining down thunder. Raining down th- It's really a thunder versus lightning. You got Roy Jones Jr. who looks as fast as, a, fast as a 51-year-old can be. And you got Mike Tyson dropping bombs. So it's speed versus power. It is an interesting fight. I wish it was a regular length fight. but And it's only eight rounds. They didn't want him to gas out and look like old men. They're trying to avoid that. That's why it's two-minute rounds, and it's only eight rounds, and they're going to have two belts, and blah, blah, blah. guess what? There's going to be a winner because that fight ain't ending without a knockout. So anyway, I just figured I'd talk about that, that we're giving fifty a 54-year-old and a 51-year-old, besides the fact that they're in the ring, which is amazing, we're going to give them participation belts. That's what this world has come to. We're giving participation belts to... Two of the greatest boxers who have ever walked the face of the planet. Roy Jones Jr., I hate to tell you, if he was a little bit more killer instinct, he might be, pound for pound, the greatest middleweight of all time. And so many people are (laughs) so many boxing purists right now are screaming at me. Roy Jones Jr., no way, blah, 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 blah. Cry, 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 cry. Yes, Roy Jones Jr., The distance he could cover with the speed that he covered it, he could have – he easily could have be the greatest middleweight of all time. Roy Jones in his prime. I don't know how many people could have beat him because the power too. oh, he had good middleweight power. So, I mean, he fought – he's fought everywhere from 168. So, I guess he was a super middleweight. 168 was the – was the last he fought – <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. I got the COVID. I don't. I don't have the COVID. Please don't call the police, because we had people over yesterday. I don't have the COVID. I promise. But I'm pretty sure he fought all over there. He's fought as high as as heavyweight. So Bernard Hopkins is up there too. But and I know a lot of you are gonna scream at me and be like, "Well, just remember that." Uh, Sugar Ray was was a middleweight. Eh, Sugar Ray started as a welterweight, and he didn't. And Tommy Hearns and Marvin Hagler and Roberto Duran. <laughs> Roberto Duran. If we really want to get silly, I I'm saying Herald. I think Julio Cesar Chavez is the greatest uh, lightweight to welterweight boxer of all time. I don't know. You can argue with me. I don't care. That's the fun part, right? So, anyway, let's wrap it up. Let's not, again, it's all about ego, right? Ego as a coach. Well, I can look at your child and tell you if they're going to be part of the 7% that go to the pros in whatever sport you want. No, you can't. You don't know. You don't know. Nobody that looked at Billy Wagner at 5'3 and 135 pounds thought major league pitcher thought 400 saves. Nobody. I don't care who you are. And there's some scout out there that's probably like, I saw it, I, I recommended it, blah, blah, blah. No, you didn't. You scouts are exactly like you were in the movie Moneyball. You think you know it all, and you don't. You don't know it all. How many, if you knew it all, that means every draft pick, would be spectacular. Every first-round draft pick would be the best ever, and every seventh-round draft pick would be the worst ever. And that's not the case, is it? How about the undrafted free agents that show up and start day one of their career and never lose a starting job, and they were undrafted? Don't tell me you know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. You thought John Elway threw the ball too hard. He couldn't put touch on passes. You thought Doug Flutie was too little. You thought Drew Brees was too little. You don't know. So st- you thought Ryan Leaf was the biggest stud on the face of the planet. Turns out he's a POS. You don't know. Stop pretending like you know. It's an educated guess. Just like a doctor. They don't know. They're guessing. Well, all these symptoms add up to this. Yeah, it also adds up to like six other things. Thanks, Doc. So don't. Don't sit back and tell me you know that you're the best eye for talent of all time. Cause guess what? You're not. Cause nobody is. You might be better than a few. You might be able to make an educated guess and maybe pick. Hmm. You're like Weatherman. I think you're right about fifty percent of the time, if that. You're probably less. I think. I think scouts. Scouts in every sport. I'm talking every sport. Scouts are about as efficient. As hmm, they're batting three hundred. You're batting three hundred when it comes to picking prospects. And if you think you're batting better than three hundred, all the power to you, but ain't nobody out there batting better than three hundred, you're right at thirty. You're right at thirty. You're thirty percent, man. You ain't you ain't hitting a thousand. I doubt any of you are hitting five hundred. So is that too harsh? Am <laughs> I being too harsh? I'm supposed to be positive on the coach's spot. And I know I, I I try to be as positive as possible. But you don't know. So let's stop pretending that we know. And just train the kids you get. Just train the athletes that show up in front of you. That at every level. If it's the front office gives you. Or, you know, whoever puts whoever on your team. Just coach them, man. And coach them with your full heart. Care about them, coach them. That's it. Teach them about effort and attitude, and where let the cards fall where they're gonna fall, and let them be who they wanna be, and let them let them play like they wanna play. Change some things in it. Obviously, I'm not saying don't coach them. I'm saying the exact opposite. Coach them up, get them to where they need to be. But I learned a long time ago, you gotta coach the athlete not your preconception of the athlete, right? You got you to gotta hear what you need to hear, not hear what you want to hear. You got to see what you need to see, not try to see what you want to see. Don't teach a kid a curveball if he's a fastball change-up hitter or thrower. You know what I'm saying? Not everybody can throw a screwball. Not everybody can throw a curveball. Some people don't have a good fastball. Make sure you're seeing what you need to see, not what you want to see. And the same thing with hearing. Hear what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. But anyway, thank you for listening to The Coach's Spot. I hope I didn't bore you guys too bad. I wanted it to be more inspirational than it was. <laughs> it's hard to be passionate this late at night. But... Uh, you know, I I hope you got something out of it. Let's just not have a preconception of our athletes. Let's coach all the athletes and coach them to the best of our ability. And a lot of these kids, a lot of the young athletes, this is the only chance they get. They're not going to play in college. Then they're not going to play in the pros. This is the only time they get this. So let's make it special, right? Is that cool? Cool. Like... Share, subscribe, leave a review. Reviews help with the algorithms and stuff like that. I really appreciate everybody listening in. Thank you so much. Keep coaching. Do your best. They'll do their best. Thanks again. I'm Jason Powell with The Coach's Spot. Bye.